Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again this week. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to watch us uh, every week at the same time on this network. I would remind you also that if you don't uh, get it on this network regularly, you can also always go to our YouTube channel and you can always listen to it that way and on demand and it makes it really easier if you're a streamer. Uh, there's also a podcast with the audio portions of this and an RSS feed if you'd like to listen to it. And so but we've been doing a series on the book of Romans and we're going to continue that today. Uh, but I just wanted to tell you that, of course, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it again. We do have several churches that will use this in their uh, home groups or their midweek service, or even among friends who gather together and say, hey, let's just watch this together and then have a discussion. We encourage you to do that, and that's available for you to do. Uh, we've been doing, like I said, the Book of Romans, and we've done several series like this, but we're in. Uh, I'm going to come back because after we finished filming last week, I thought I was done with Romans, the 10th chapter. But the, the more I pondered on some things towards the latter part of it, I thought I really kind of rushed last week and, and kind of scaled over some things that I kind of want to come back and pick up because it's the setup for coming to Romans, the 11th chapter. Remember, once again, I want to reiterate this, that the book of Romans was written as a letter. And as such, it should be read really in one setting. Now, it's impossible, of course, to do that on television. But if I wrote you a letter uh, and said to you, dear so-and-so, uh, you don't read one chapter or one page this week, wait another week and read the next page and read another week and watch the next, or listen to the, uh, or, or read the next page. If you see the consistency of how this book unfolds, we remember in the outset I told you that the first part of the book of Romans is the diagnosis. He diagnoses the conditions of all of humanity, and he concludes by chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that we need a Savior. Chapter 4 begins to open with the remedy of the problem, and that is faith and faith alone, because Abraham was the example. And then you come through chapter 5 and chapter 6, and you start to realize how he begins to tell you, we've left the old country where sin is sovereign. We've lived in, now we've moved into Graceland, where there's a new king living inside of us. And then, of course, chapter 7, Paul's talking about the effect of the law and the covenant that it has, and how it caused the very problem of when I want to do good, evil is present. And when he began to open chapter 8, he was talking about a liberty that was coming to the whole creation. That glorious liberty was a freedom from an old covenant slave mentality and into an understanding of sonship. And then we dealt with chapter 9 uh, about how Israel uh, had kind of rejected God and into chapter 10 where they have started to try to, where Paul has tried to tell Israel you have sought this, but not by faith. And therefore, he tells them that they went about to establish their own righteousness, and they've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, and they've not responded to the gospel that is the power of God under salvation that can only be found in Christ. Now, I want to catch the last part of 10, 
Because like I said, we showed you in the last four segments how the book of Deuteronomy tells you God wants to give us the days of heaven on earth. In the book of Deuteronomy, it is predicated upon or it is built on whether or not you kept the law and you crossed every T, dotted every I. But when we showed you the latter part of uh, Deuteronomy, where Paul says, uh, he quotes Deuteronomy, where he said, For who hath ascended up to heaven, that is to bring the words of this law down to you, that we may hear it and do it. But when Paul quoted that scripture in the book of Romans chapter 10, he said, Who will ascend up to heaven, that is to bring down Christ from above. And the Old Testament said, who will descend into the deep, that is to bring up the words of this law, who will go across the sea to bring the words of this law to us that we may hear it and do it. The book of Romans declares the same scripture, except he replaces again the law with Christ. And he said, but who will descend into the deep, that is to bring up again Christ from the dead. And then that the word that was nigh them in the Old Testament was the words of this law. In the New Testament, in the book of Romans, the word that's nigh you even in your mouth is the word of faith that we preach, that if we believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. So he's talking about moving from an old covenant paradigm into a new covenant. And he says, but what had happened to Israel is that they had missed it because they tried to establish it on the basis of their own righteousness, and they stumbled at the stone of offense and the rock, a uh, uh, stumbling block, which was Christ. They missed what all the scriptures were prophesying concerning even in the book of Deuteronomy when it was talking about being able to access this on the basis of not who will ascend up to heaven to bring the words of the law to us, but to bring Christ down from above and who descended into the deep, because He was delivered for our offenses. And the fact that He went down into the deep, into the abyss, we talked about that in prior segments, that He, because He was delivered for our offenses, He was raised for our justification, and the resurrection of Christ signaled that God's new creation project is now underway. And then he goes on to say uh, to them in the latter part of 10 that who, uh, he says for verse 12, for there's no distinction, <coughs> excuse me, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's some really good news because up until this time, they felt like it was exclusive to natural Israel. But the reality of it is, he's declaring, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's, you know, declaring, you know, one of the things that I think is almost frustrating to me is I look through sometimes even my own social media feeds that there are people almost declaring that Jesus is not the only way in, to which I have to say, there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved, but at the name of Jesus. Listen, folks, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the gospel. If our, if our theology is not Christological or centered in Christ, we have missed the point of the gospel. And so I don't know how much I can stress this, but the reality of it is, is we do not know many times how to rightly divide the word of truth. So as a result, here we are 2,000 some years into the new covenant, preaching a mixture of law and grace. But the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It is not Jesus plus 
Moses, it is Jesus plus nothing. And so he tells them, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's neither Jew or Greek, bond or free either. There's no distinction. God wants to bring everybody in through the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But as he gets into the last part of it, he talks about the re- Israel rejecting the gospel. And I wanted to pick this up because as we get into chapter 11, we're going to talk about the true vine and what it means that all Israel will be saved. Verse number 14 of uh, 10 of Romans says, How then shall they call on Him and whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. See, that's a direct quote from Isaiah. Who, how beautiful are the feet of them. Not that bring doom, despair, agony on me, but not those who preach you're doomed, you're done, uh, God is angry with you, but what the, those who preach the gospel of peace. They've got beautiful, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace. And the reason that we can preach the gospel of pre- peace is because Jesus, or uh, Prophet Isaiah said concerning uh, messianic prophecy, comfort my people and tell her her warfare is accomplished. The reason we have a gospel of peace is because Jesus has won the victory. The victory belongs to Him. He wears the victor's crown. Hallelujah. And he continues to conquer all of his enemies. He goes on to say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have you not, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound is going out in all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. See, he's setting this up for chapter 11 of Romans, where we're going to see that the natural branches were cut off so that the wild olive branch could be grafted back in. But he's talking about the fact that they did not receive it by faith, and they tried to accomplish it by works instead of through faith. Works, righteousness, does not accomplish what God had planned for us through faith and faith alone. He said, but they did, Moses said, I will provoke the jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found of those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, <clears throat> I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, I'm going to go over to Isaiah where he, where, he, where he was declaring this, and it was Isaiah 63, which is one of the most powerful messianic prophecies in the Bible. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, it's just so, so powerful that he, you know, uh, he, he, he begins to, to give it, uh, give this, uh, you know, when he, when he begins to declare, who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord? Uh, I'm getting them the wrong place. I, I'm sorry. Let me just think. Let me, let me find it here. I'm sorry. Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53 is where I, I said 63. It says, who has believed our report? Now remember in the book of Romans, Paul is saying, well, did Isaiah say, who has believed our report? So he's really kind of bringing an indictment here somewhat to Israel. He's really giving a messianic prophecy of Israel who have had the opportunity to come into the covenants of promise by faith. Now remember when he said in Romans chapter 10, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that if you put this word God in your uh, Bible program on mine in BibleSoft, at the drop-down window, the inner, the, uh, inner linear Bible translates this word as not uh, Theo or Yahweh, but it translates this word as Christos. In other words, faith comes by hearing the word about Christos or Christ. So when you preach Christ and what He accomplished, faith starts to be you know, the automatic response. I think what we've done sometimes, even in preaching faith, is that we've preached it like mind over matter, or we've had faith in faith, rather than looking at what it is that produces the faith, and that is looking at the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when I looked at this, he says, who has believed our report, and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, when I think about the arm of the Lord, I think about the Arm and Hammer bacon soda box. It's where God rolls up His sleeve and says, what do you think about that? When He makes His right hand bare, He shows His strength. And man, some years ago, I had the great opportunity to preach several times with uh, uh, the late T.L. Osborne in some conferences. And uh, he was preaching on this, and he said, the arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report. Well, what report is that? The report is what follows. What follows is a powerful prophecy of what Jesus did in His redemptive work, and starts to prophesy some messianic things. For He shall grow up before Him as a tender plant, <clears throat> and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we His were our faces from Him. He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Peter quotes that scripture in the gospel, that in one of his epistles. And by His stripes we are healed. And the next verse says, and we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation, for he was cut off from the land of the living, and for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering to sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. I believe the seed that he sees 
is those that are born of Christ who become, as we'll see in the next chapter 11, who become the true Israel of God as they are connected to the true vine, which is Christ, who was the one to whom the promise was always made. And we'll get into detail about that, but we are the seed of the Lord and the generation that He's going to have, He's going to prolong our days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. He shall see the labor of His soul, which shall be satisfied. By His knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the great, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He poured out His soul unto death, and He was numbered with transgressors. And He bore the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressors. So He's talking to them in Romans 10, and He's saying, He's quoting Isaiah. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It is revealed to those who believe the report. Now, what report is that, Paul? The report is, He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for your peace was upon Him. He took everything you had coming, so you could get what He has coming. He became the ultimate sacrifice for sin so that He could justify and make righteous all of those that would come to Him by faith. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors, and He poured out His soul unto death. And He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The bruising was even to deal with our internal pain, our internal hurts, our internal brokenness, our internal bleeding. He wore a crown of thorns to redeem us from the prickly thoughts of uh, mental illness, that our soul might be uh, brought into a understanding of peace and the gospel of peace that would bring a peace over our minds. He wore a crown of thorns to deliver us from the curse that makes you think you've got to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. If you look back at Genesis, the curse, Jesus prayed in a garden, and He sweated in a garden. He sweated until He bled, because if He bleeds and one drop of blood ever touches a cursed earth, it will put the curse in reverse that says you must earn your bread. I'm talking about something that will shift your faith into seeing the arm of the Lord revealed. I think sometimes the reason we don't see the miraculous is because we don't fully understand. And I know that this is an inexhaustible chapter here in Isaiah 53. There's a lot of different views on it. But I think the more we understand what Jesus did in His redemptive work, the more we're going to see the arm of the Lord revealed. I mean, He literally was the fulfillment of this. And what, 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 what Paul was talking about in Romans is he's saying to them, from chapter 10, you tried to establish your righteousness on the basis of your own self-help righteousness. They sought it by works, as it were, and not by faith, but Israel did not attain. And so Paul is indicting natural Israel here, and he's saying, well, did Isaiah say, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, because he's setting them up for chapter 11 to talk about how they had opportunity into the covenants of promise, but blindness has happened to them, and now they are enemies for the gospel's sake that God could include both Jew and Gentile, because even as he's declaring here in the 10th chapter of Romans is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then as you, uh, you know, as you begin to see what all took place in that redemptive work in Isaiah 53, he then jumps into Isaiah 54. Many times we stop as we come to the end of Isaiah 53 and don't continue the narrative. But once again, as Isaiah 54 opens, it connects to another New Testament scripture. He says, Sing, O barren, and you who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with ch children, with child, for more are the children of the desolate than sh the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Now, let me, uh, I'll get this in just a moment, but uh, that's, a, that's quoted in, let me see here, I think it's quoted in Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 27, when once again he's talking about the Jerusalem, which now is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and is in bondage with her children to this day. But the Jerusalem, which is above the messianic kingdom of Christ, which is our mother, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it is, is, is Isaac is the new covenant woman of God. And he goes on to say to them again, he's talking about them. He said, sing, O barren, and you did, did not bring forth, and you that didn't have a married husband. So in other words, he's talking about the Gentiles who did not have an opportunity that seemed to be barren. Now they can sing because there's an inclusion into the covenants of promise because of the rejection of Israel, where Paul was quoting uh, Romans 10, they did not believe the report. Well, did Isaiah say, who will the arm of the Lord? Because all day long I held out my hands to a rebellious nation, and they did not receive. Therefore, God took it and offered it to the, to the Galatians, or not to the Galatians, but to the Gentile. He said, it goes on to say, break forth into sing, cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate, than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. In other words, God is making the tent bigger. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations. That's the inclusion of the nations. Make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will not you forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. With great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Lord your redeemer. I think the moment when God... Uh, turned his back for a moment on them was in A.D. 70 when for a small moment he turned. I don't think this is talking about the cross because God does not turn his back on Jesus. Uh, I don't have time to deal with that in this segment, but I want to tell you that for a small moment he hid his face, but in tender mercies he will gather because what he's going to do is reopen this enlarged tent to include both Jew and Gentile in the true Israel of God, which is not simply the church, it is Christ. Christ is the Israel of God, and I'm going to show you that uh, in the next several segments as we get in, 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 into it. 
But as we are gathered together in Christ, the, the Israel of God is both Jew and Gentile from all nations. It is the fulfillment of the prophetic word to Abraham that in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. He said, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you, for the mountains shall depart, the hills will remove, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant, watch this, my covenant of peace, not just any covenant, but the covenant of peace, tossed with tempest and and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies and your gates of crystal and your walls of precious stones, and your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children, and righteousness shall you be established. He's talking about the new covenant. If you read this text, in the book of Revelation, he talks about the walls and the streets and the city and the garnets and the stones. He's talking about the gathering of the new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem was apostate Israel. The new Jerusalem is the messianic kingdom of Christ that we see in Galatians 4 when he said, Sing, O barren, and you that did not bring forth, because he said, This is as the waters of Noah to me. And he says uh, that, uh, he said, this is as the waters, in other words, everything that happened in Isaiah 53 was as the waters of Noah to me. In other words, he views the death of Christ and his redemptive work the same way he viewed the ark of Noah. What do you mean, Dr. House? I mean that, and the ark of Noah is a powerful picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ because he is our ark in the New Testament, and He is the ark of safety that we get inside of when we go down into the waters of baptism, that we did not escape the judgment. We were in the thing that was judged. We were in Christ, who is our ark of safety, who is the vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and by the curse, and lands on a mountain called Ararat, which means the curse has been reversed and brings us into a new world where God starts His new creation project all over again and says to them, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to view this as the waters of Noah and never again will I be wroth with you because if you are in Christ, you were in the ark and you were in the, the place of safety and uh, you were in the, the very thing that God poured the judgment out on, and that was Christ. God, Christ took all of our judgment so that we could be in Him. Let me quickly uh, uh, get this for you in, in, in Galatians chapter number 4, verse number 27. We're almost out of time here, but uh, let me see if I can get it for you real quickly. Uh, let me get it in the Amplified Bible. Uh, let's see, verse number 27, it says this, uh, Tell me who, this is verse 21, tell me who are bent on being under the law, will you listen to what the law really says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman. Let me just skip down. He says, but the Jerusalem above, which is the messianic kingdom of Christ, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written in the scriptures, rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth to children. Break forth into joyful shout, you are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than he who has a husband. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 54. We're out of time. Take a moment to go and sow seed into the ministry. There's a QR code where you can do that, or you can go to our website and do it, or you can call the number, 
on the screen, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.